Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. Thanks for joining in for concept 21. Today's concept is authority. I'm here with my friend Jerome Daly. Jerome's an author and an executive coach, but I really just know him as my friend. I didn't find out he was an author or an executive coach until well into our friendship. And we're going to talk about the theme of authority as well as one of his books that kind of has that as a theme within it. But uh, hey, Jerome. Hey, man. Thanks Good to be for, here. Thanks for being here, man. I've learned so much from you already in our friendship as well as the uh, I've gotten part of the way through the book we'll talk about um, in a little while. But right out of the gate with this, with this, uh, this attempt to simplify something without sacrificing depth, here's a really deep question right, right out of the gate. Let's just go straight into the deep end. What is authority? What does that word mean? So somebody clicked like, hey, I want to hear this. What does that word mean? Yeah. Authority is kind of a tricky word because it carries a little bit of cultural baggage yeah. for many of us. Uh, so there's there are different kinds of authority. There's you know positional authority based on the tag that's on your door. Okay. And and I think maybe one of the places we'll be contrasting is where positional authority compared to relational authority, maybe compared to spiritual authority, which I've chosen the word gravitas to kind of represent something that goes much deeper than any kind of a position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you just said positional, which mm-hmm. would be on your door or some on your business card, the org chart of the organization. Relational authority, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Well, so you've got some relational authority, say... Uh, well, I think we have some relational authority with one another. Uh, uh, I think we have the ability to speak some things into each other's lives okay, yeah. based on a certain track record of having um, experienced one another, earned a little bit of trust with each okay, other. Okay. Right. And so that opens up a sense of relationship that allows me to say some things with you and you to me that I think we would take seriously. Yeah, that we wouldn't necessarily good. say to a stranger. Oh, and then spiritual. Authority. Yeah, and I, I'd imagine some people listening went, "Uh oh," when they hear that. <laughs> some people might be like, "I don't even know what that means." Um, so, uh, yeah, I want to talk about that. Um, sure. But t- explain the word gravitas, though. So this is yeah. this is your word connected with spiritual authority. So talk about the word gravitas, yeah. and we can spend some time talking about spiritual authority. So gravitas is a word that we have maybe some idea of what it means, um, and, but it's not a common word in our language, but it is in the dictionary. It'll show up in certain places. <laughs> uh, but we have this sort of sense that I think gravitas means, maybe it might even mean imp- impressive or imposing, and that's not so much the way I'm taking it. I'm taking it in a more root word. Gravitas comes kind of tied to the word gravity and that sense of weight, weightiness. Yeah. Sometimes we run into people that we just have a sense that their words have weight. Right. And that maybe even more than their words, maybe uh, their words have weight because their character has weight. Uh-huh. Because they're a weighty person. They're a person of substance. That's right. Yeah. And, and so that is, that's what I'm reaching for in my own life. Yeah. That's, that's what I feel like there's a crying need for in the world at large. Man, that's really good. Yeah, that it makes me think of the word, the Hebrew word for holy. Uh, it has it means to be heavy. Oh wow! And so there's that overlap there. Like this is 
heavy doesn't always have to mean a burden, yeah. but it's significant. And that, I don't think that is, it's a completely different way of thinking about authority than because your name is higher on the organizational chart. That's sort of a, we've all, we all work in this place and we've all agreed to this, but that doesn't necessarily, that a person might not be a person of gravitas. It's just that they happened to ha be in that organization long enough or their resume lined yes. up or something like that. And, and so let's talk a little bit about kind of the overlapping circles of these things, because if someone is a, a leader, they have authority in one ca category, they might not in another. Mm -hmm. How do we, how do these circles overlap? <laughs> yeah. A lot of times people are elevated to a position of authority in a workplace or any kind of an organizational context because they have certain skills, right? maybe technical skills that sort of earn them the right to direct and organize a mission based on those skills, but they may or may not have character. Yeah, They may or may not have invested in putting their roots down deep. That's an image we can come back to. Uh, so then that, in that sense, it becomes a, a, the disconnect. Yeah. And, and to, to take that a step further, if they don't invest in developing some sort of authentic relationship with the people that they lead, then everything's transactional and there can easily come a sense that... Uh, people are utilitarian and that they're just there to serve a purpose and their well-being matters far less than what they can produce for a company which can or any kind of organization which can really lead to people feeling manipulated, misused, kind of uh, man we're going to ring you out and and then toss you out so that we can replace you with some fresh, you know, energy yeah. and that can be that can be hugely disrespectful. Yes. To and I know human. many people who have gone through that. Yeah. I think that that's a, a, an abuse of authority. Yes. And it, the way that I view these three that you've been talking about, positional authority, relational authority, spiritual authority, I, I, this is just my opinion. I think relational authority and spiritual authority are eternal things. Hmm. And I think positional authority is not. I agree. And I actually don't even really think it's an ideal, even in the temporary. Yes. Um, and so, and then especially if the only thing that you have is positional authority and you don't have the other two, yeah. it leads to abuse, it leads to oppression, it, it leads to not leading well. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that for a little while because there's probably some people listening that have gone through this, but... Let's talk, we can be as abstract or literal as we want, but how, how has authority been misunderstood and also misused and abused? Yeah. You just talked about one of them. Just, yes. Just, just sort of getting rid of people and getting fresh blood and all that. Yeah. Well, you know, we both have some uh, experience in the church. Yeah. And, and that's certainly one environment where uh, authority has been mis misused, sometimes well-meaningly and I mean probably often uh, with a sense of well-meaning or maybe a unjustifies the means kind of approach less well-meaning hmm. but maybe just out of pure ignorance but I think it's easy for whether we're talking about church or the corporate world for people to think that hey I've been entrusted with something I have a job to do and so and I'm going to be evaluated and paid 
based on the job that I do. So it, all that matters is getting the job done. Mm-hmm. And so that can really lead to dehumanizing and devaluing the, the larger story going on. Because, And this is something I go over with my clients almost all the time. There's a small story in, in your world and there's a big story in your world. You've come and you've hired me as a coach to help you with a project or a team member, starting a company, writing a book, whatever it is. Mm. There's a project, something compelling, it's worthy, and it's still the small story. Yeah. That doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It matters hugely. Yeah. But there's something that matters even more because long after that project comes and goes, right? right there's something that's going to endure, and that's who you're becoming, yeah. and that's the influence you have. Well, you said the word influence, and as I'm reading your book, um, Monk in the Marketplace, which I love the title, and I think that you said that you're, it's going to be re-released with a new title, Gravitas? Yes. When is that? Coming out sometime in the spring from Nav Press. Okay. So if they want to get this now, Monk in the Marketplace, and this is a book that, well, describe what this book is, because this was a springboard <laughs> for us talking about authority, but how would you describe sure. what this book is? I would describe it as an intersection between the modern needs of marketplace leadership and the timeless spiritual traditions and practices yeah. of the monastics, specifically uh-huh. the Benedictines. Right. Ugh. So the one feels like, wow, ancient and yeah. maybe inaccessible, maybe Ill- Ill- irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But then we've got all of these modern needs and stretches and places where we, right? So I'm just trying to bridge those because I feel like one enormously supplies the needs of the other. So someone can go to Amazon, go type in Monk, M-O-N-K, in the marketplace, Jerome Daly, and Daly spelled D-A-L-E-Y. But next spring will be called Gravitas. Correct. G-R-A-V-I-T-A-S. That's it. By Jerome Daly. <laughs> and same same exact book, or are they gonna are you gonna rework some of the inside? I'm I'm going through an editorial process with them yeah. now. I think it'll be one percent different. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I love the title, I love the concept. I've told you this already, but I, for years I've been playing around with this title called the Moderate Monk, which is not the same exact point that you're making. But one of my goals has always been to be the kind of person that spends time in the monastery, so to speak, or at least, you know, symbolically the monastery. Yes. Solitude, um, silence, contemplation, prayer, etc. But not live in the monastery permanently and then emerge. I always thought of it like Friar Tuck coming into town with the big barrel of beer or the cart on the cart. <laughs> right. As like, okay, I've been in the monastery and I know who I am. Yes. And now I want to be part of the world. Yes. And then, and then, okay, I've been a part of the world. It's time to now take a break and go back to the monastery. Like mm. rhythm of work and rest is another way of thinking of it. But this specifically related to the marketplace and these leadership principles and authority principles that can be applied in the marketplace, I think is a really great spot. Um, I think that's going to be a really helpful tool. It has been a helpful yeah. tool for many, but you use the word influence. As I've been reading your book, what I'm picking up on, and I don't even know if this is what you intended when you wrote it, but that's just sort of the way writing works. I've been replacing the word authority with the word influence. Sure. 
Uh, would you say that that's fair? I think it's totally fair. Yeah. In fact, I think some ways influence is maybe the healthier version of authority. Uh-huh. That kind of strips away any attempts, whether innocent or not, to manipulate or undermine and really looks at... I mean, I suppose influence could be negative or positive, but we're, of course, yeah. reaching for positive influence. Yeah, yeah. We want our lives and our personality and our character, and as well as any directives we might give from a place of leadership, to be, to be sourced from something trustworthy. Yeah. You know, a really uh, honest influence that people would feel like, wow, I feel elevated by that. Yes. I, l- I like the word influence in the English language more than the word authority because for, in my mind, in my experiences, authority has, it has a little bit of a connotation of you must obey this. Yes. And influence is sort of a, I'm going to suggest that you go in this direction, mm-hmm. but ultimately you're, it's your direction and you're the one walking it. Well said. You know? And when I think of positional influence, yeah. I think of someone, if I didn't have the baggage of authority in my mind, mm-hmm. maybe there's someone with some more experience and they say, have you considered this? And the only reason they have that influence is because they have more experience. It doesn't necessarily speak into relationships yet or spiritual, but just sort of, oh, this person's been doing this for 30 years and I've been doing it for one year. And they made a suggestion of the yeah. trajectory. That's influence, and that's good, but it's not, you have to do what I say. Right. And then relational as well. Relational authority is sort of a, there is a, there is a place in my mind where if we're close enough friends and you have the, quote, authority to say things, but when I think of it as influence, it just seems much, much more healthy. Yeah. And so how do we redeem this word? You know, and maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I doubt that I'm alone in this. No, you're not alone. The word authority seems heavy in not the gravitas way. It seems heavy in the burdensome way to me. Yeah, and we're really kind of talking about leadership style, leadership effectiveness, leadership trustworthiness. Right. So this has a, and almost all of us are, are leading something. Right, right. You know. Well, you say that in your book, whether we realize it or not, we have spheres of influence. We do. We do. So it really matters. How do we exercise that influence? And I mean, but you asked the question, can we redeem the word authority? I think we can try. We, we can try by having this conversation and say, well, here's what authority should not be. And here's what authority should be. Like you, I'm going to reach for words probably other than authority until that conversation mm-hmm. run its course, you know. Yeah, I oftentimes have people approach me and wish that I was more authoritative. Really? And wish that I told people what to do more. And I think that they view it as a positive word, as the person in charge that says, this is what we're going to do. And so by me wanting to have more relationship and that more gravitas style can sometimes be perceived as not leading or not having any authority. And so how do we, in a, in a generation of people that I think are trying to figure out healthy versions of the word leadership, healthy versions of the word authority, how do we lead well? How do we exercise the authority that, whether it's on our business card or friendship 
or this this spiritual thing inside of us and i want to talk more about that sure the root rootedness but how do we like how do we do this the right way and still use the word hmm. you know what i mean yeah how, how does someone like myself who i don't want to it's like i've been running from the word authority Wow. And then people are like, but we want you to be the authority. And I'm like, but I'm not. And they go, but you are. <laughs> well, I think, <laughs> you know? I think sometimes the reason why people reach for more traditional forms of authority, like just tell me what to do. Yeah, yeah. Is because we do have a, a, a preference sometimes to set people on a pedestal. Like we yeah. want somebody to feel like that buffer. Yeah, yeah. And whether this corporate or in, in the... Christian family or however, yeah, yeah. you know, sort of like, you know, I, I want the security that comes from you just from, from thinking and believing, you know, exactly what to do. Yes. So that makes me feel safe. That's right. And then if you'll just tell me what to do, then I don't, then I'm absolved of any personal responsibility yeah, yeah. for really participating in the conversation. That's right. And I think that really uh, hurts both the leader that gets elevated and those that kind of get co-opted, no matter how comfortable that might feel, it's not a healthy leadership model, in my opinion. I totally agree. I equate it to in the Bible, the when Israel wanted a king. Oh wow! It's it's you know God said, "I want to be your king." Yeah. And they were like, "No, we want a king we can see," and then He gave it to them. Right? Yeah. And I think that that's still happening now. Yes. Is people go, and I and I hear that from people to me like no you're our guy yeah. you know and so i don't want that right. right but reading your book i do want to realize that i myself as lo- as well as everyone else has some sort sort of sphere of influence and i want to use that well i want it to mm-hmm. benefit people one of the things that i struggle with though is it if there's no authority in terms of telling you what to do, can that lead, and this can speak into you as an executive coach partnering with businesses, can that lead to just sort of like complete chaos with no, with no uh, direction? It could. So I don't think that um, a healthy carrying of authority influence means there's a lack of direction or a lack of clarity. I think it's how we achieve that that really makes all the difference in the world. So I'm working with a company right now and the CEO is having some challenges with the VP, one of the VPs. And there is a lack of direction. Uh, there's a lack of prioritization, lack of communication, lack of, a, lack of accountability. So I'm working with both of these folks right now to try to develop, let's, let's have a clear sense of what needs to be done and, and where the priorities lie and where the timelines fall and what we can expect from one another. So all that's super healthy. It's a matter of how we get there. So we, yeah. can, find, we can find direction, not because here's what to do, I'm telling you to do it, go do it, let me know when you're done. And there can be like, Okay, here are the things that are most important to me that feel like the greatest priority in your department. What do you see? You know, what are you perceiving? And we're all going to have different perspectives. Uh, there's, a, there's a 
perspective benefit that comes from the larger view, and there's a perspective benefit that comes from the, the more contained view. Yeah. Now, where do those intersect? Where do those meet? Now, let's thresh through that, and let's yeah. come to a place of agreement where we're both saying, yeah, this is, these are the best pieces of both of these perspectives. Yeah. Let's agree on that. Let's set some, some real clear steps, strategies, deadlines, and let's, let's get her done. Well, what I think I sifting through what I think I'm hearing is if you're in a position of if you're in a position of positional authority or however you're supposed to say that if you have positional authority that should be used lovingly and carefully as influence but the people that you're leading you should remind them that they have influence absolutely so it's like not just do what I say but you're a person of influence Let's figure this out together. And so you're influencing them in that. Yes. But you're reminding them that they have that authority, that gravitas, that... Um, and we're there to elevate and empower them to, to become the best version of themselves. Right, right. So we're entrusted not just with a corporate mandate and mission, but we're entrusted with something eternal. The lives of people that, that have the ability to grow and develop and, and to attain to a level of their truest selves, their, their maximum potential. And that's not done if we just tell people what to do. So let's flip it upside down. Let's say someone's listening and they're, they're less thinking about how they need to be a more gentle leader um, or an influencer, but they're thinking they're under the foot mm-hmm. of a heavy leader right? who's potentially either misusing this authority or just not really taking them into consideration. Maybe they, they, their boss is a, is a person of positional authority only. Yes. They're not receiving, they're not connected in relational authority with this person or spiritual authority. What should they do? How should okay. they take some of these principles mm-hmm. and then how can they thrive and or figure out if this isn't the place for them too? Sure. I think the first thing they can do is, is really take an intentional posture around developing and cultivating their own gravitas. Yeah, yeah. And we'll talk about how to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, it, but but that's that's rare. Yeah. yeah. But that's where it begins because we can't ask for more authority if we haven't cultivated our own internal spiritual authority. Hmm. So that's that's where to start. Then out of that out of that wellspring of true <laughs> un mm, uh, unequivocal <laughs> authority, uh, we can lead up. So what does that mean? Leading up for me means taking the initiative to be strategic about your role. Yeah. It's not just about getting jobs done. It's not just about doing what's been, you've been asked to do. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. It's like, well, what's the bigger picture? What's the bigger mission for my area of responsibility? And then communicating that, taking ownership of that, uh, making suggestions and feedback. Now, you might have a boss that's not interested in that kind of collaboration, but you got to try. Mm. And, you know, you might hit a ceiling, but you won't know unless you take some initiative and you take some responsibility to say, here's the way I see what matters most. Uh, you can even instigate the conversation. Now, how do you see it, boss? Um yeah. Where do these things... So you don't have to wait for that to come from the person with the, the, the badge and the tag on the door. 
you can instigate those conversations and that strategic way of thinking. I'm, I'm assuming that this has led for many to realizing that there's a person that has positional authority over them, but they don't have relational authority, nor do they have spiritual authority. But then flipping around, this other person has more relational authority and more spiritual authority than their quote boss. Sure. And that has got to eventually lead to some sort of breaking point. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think so because either that leadership capacity and that spiritual authority is going to be so stuffed Right. And unable to really be expressed in a sense of purpose and mission that some other opening of opportunity is going to rise where they can step into their calling. Yeah. In a way that's, that's, that's important for their lives and it's important for the earth. Yeah. It's important for the world. And, and that kind of uh, poor leadership is going to suffer from losing that caliber of people. Uh-huh, I agree, yeah. You know, you've got the kind of classic James Coll- Jim Collins, uh, uh-huh. good to great, you yeah, know, yeah. the levels of leadership, and he says, well, you can't, you know, you leadership, you can only cultivate leaders up to your level of leadership. Mm-hmm. And if you have people that are have a higher capacity than you do, you're either going to learn how to release them and let them run, or they're going to run. <laughs> they're going to leave. <laughs> right. One of those two things is going to happen. <laughs> That's great. Well, let's talk about the how we can develop the gravitas. Yeah. So how, how does somebody cultivate this? It's one thing to just talk relationally. I can mm-hmm. the, logically think through. Build relationships. Have friends. Develop trust. There's the obvious with positional. But what is spiritual authority? Mm-hmm. How do we develop and cultivate and grow in that? Yeah, man. Well, this is where I benefited so much from the Benedictine tradition. So this guy, St. Benedict, back in the 5th century uh, in in Italy, really created a movement. There have been a number of monastic movements over the years, most of which are still in operation in some level. Benedict was unusual not necessarily better than the other monastic movements, but he was unusual in that he, he wrote it down. So oh. there's something called the Rule of Benedict that laid out both the really practical and logistical ways that the community would function together. But then he also really carved out what... They weren't, they're not quite this succinct in the rule, but uh, for me and for many that study the Benedictines, they've kind of shaken out into three core principles and five core practices. And these have been t- a touch point for me. Like this is how to, to go deep. This is how to put your roots down. And, that's and this is sort of the uh, skeleton outline of your book, really, right? It is. I mean, Very much so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's completely the outline of the book. There's like an introduction and a conclusion and then eight chapters in the middle, three and five. (laughs) So yes, very much the outline. And the metaphor, the word picture that I'm using to represent this in the book and that I like stays in my mind constantly is this image of a tree. So you've got the branches, you've got everything you see up there. It was a classic image. But then you've got all the roots networks that goes underneath that actually extends in in many trees as far as the branches extend above the ground. Yeah. And so you've got this 
huge going down deep in order to support what's up top. And it's just such a beautiful metaphor because yeah. we wind up seeing leaders capsized, if you will, right, all over the place, whose root structure in this metaphor have not been able to sustain their positional authority. Their spiritual authority is stunted. It's not been developed. And so there's, there's a moral failure or there's a burnout. Yeah, I was going to say exhaustion is what I've seen. Yeah. All sorts of things, you know. Um, sometimes people just numb out. It's like, I, I can't do this anymore. So I'm just going to kind of keep on keeping on. I show up every day, but, but I'm just numbing out on, on whatever it is, alcohol or Netflix or, yeah, you know, yeah. golf. Hiding in yeah. whatever way. Right? Whatever way that we hide. So how do we go deep? How do we put those roots down? I think the Benedictines have something to say about that. So I'll just hit real quick. Yeah. The, the three big ideas they call stability, conversion, and obedience. And, and I've run with those ideas around the ways those feel relevant and, and timely for us today. Uh, and in a nutshell, the way that I experience those is cultivating my belovedness mm. as a child of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it... it, it begins there and in some ways it ends there but to the yeah. extent that I can receive my my worth and the fact that apart from anything I do I am loved I'm delighted in I'm cherished yeah. that's like that's the taproot well for the the leaders that what do you say capsized yes it's they can mistakenly think that their identity is based on other people loving what they're good at Right, and then that's what keeps feeding the ego more and more, instead of the rootedness of who am I, and I'm loved just because I'm me, just because mm. God made me. I got a lot of help from a guy named Thomas Keating. Uh huh. Oh yeah. He had the the paradigm that there are three core human needs: every person, everywhere, every time. The need for power and control the need for approval and affection, and the need for safety and security. And that these are part of our humanity. They're not bad. In fact, they're actually implanted in us by God because God intends to be the source and satisfaction for meeting all three of those. So our spiritual practices will either facilitate our getting those core needs met in God or we'll be chasing them everywhere else, which is really what you were just saying trying to chase other people's approval of us rather than just knowing we are loved and approved no matter what. <laughs> yeah. And then that goes on to, you know, safety, security. Am I going to inge- try to engineer my own, the security of my position, the security of my company, the security of my, you know, whatever it is, or am I going to receive the provision and abundance that's just flowing? And from God. I used, it took me 10 or 15 years of vocational ministry before I really believed that about myself. Hmm. I would say it to other people, you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. And they'd go through something and then I would speak those kinds of things over them. And then, uh, I finally believed it Wow! for about me. How and did it, that happen? Through some of these kinds of things, some these uh, some monastic practices and some contemplative prayer and discussion with people about 
contemplative prayer and and that mixed in with some some psychology really sure, sure. and uh, I know you got more core the principles we want to get to but I think it's when I got to what is in your book about this phrase phrase original glory oh wow and I think I got it got pounded in me even though I didn't grow up in church I was in church for years and it was pounded in me that that we're bad yes and that there's a couple proof texts that you use right. and you just say yeah you're bad and and you know in the in the maybe Calvin tradition with tulip the T right. at the beginning is total depravity and that's just it <laughs> or you know the right. good news if you have a witnessing track that talks about the good news the point number 1 is the bad news the bad which news. is you're bad and so it's just you're bad you're bad you're bad and, and I've heard that said like explicitly, there can be no good news unless there's bad news. Right, right. And I think that's really backwards. Yeah, and so I found that I, while I do believe that I believe in sin, I mean, sin exists. For sure. Broden, brokenness exists. The narrative of, of humanity, disobedience leading to the brokenness of the world is true. It exists. Yes. But the... The biblical narrative doesn't start with that. That's right. It starts with original glory. Is I've never heard that phrase before, but I love that phrase. And so just saying, like, we are made in the image of God. Man. And I, I just, somewhere along the line, I remember when I, I was sitting in a room of about a dozen pastors and counselors, and we're kind of talking things through. And I remember saying, I think God really likes me. And I remember... For years, I thought, I'm not really supposed to say that. <laughs> or like, if you say it, you have to give a disclaimer of, only if I'm covered in the blood of Jesus or something, you know? Yes. And as opposed to just, no, God likes me. Yeah. It's such a different <laughs> narrative that we wind up with. <laughs> right, right. And I do think, I mean, I still completely believe in the narrative and the person of Jesus and the 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 role of his death, burial, resurrection, all that. Of course. But it was, it was just sort of like, originally, God made people and he liked them. <laughs> Dude, that's huge. I mean, because either like, we're just kind of these, these corrupt, complete failures, the, the, almost an embarrassment to yeah. God, that, that God somehow in his ingenuity finds a way to tolerate that's right. And, 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 and rescue and kind of like be okay with. And we'll barely sort of sneak into the, in through the pearly gates. Yeah. <laughs> or he feels about us, you know, the best image we have is how our children, like the, right, we're, right. we're crazy about them. Yeah, yeah. No matter how much they screw up or fall down or yep. throw a tantrum, it's like, man, this is my beloved child. Mm -hmm. I would do anything for them. Yeah, and G Jesus does a couple teachings like, well, if if you as a earthly yes. father can feel this way, how much more so does your heavenly father? So I think that yes. there's precedent for this way of thinking, this logic. Well, I, I think I derailed a... us a little bit, but oh. <laughs> well, you were only on core value number one. Okay, well, yes. Belovedness. Okay, <laughs> belovedness, um, what the Benedictines call conversion, which I think is a beautiful word that's been enormously truncated in yeah. in our spiritual tradition to be this instant in time this one moment uh, yes there 
there, there probably must be a point in time where there's an awakening. I'm not sure we ever really know when that is. It's so, it's so mysterious and hidden, I, personally, I think so. And so outside of that, there's this lifelong process of coming into our true selves, coming into the person we were meant to be, we were designed to be, Psalm 139, you know, knit together in my mother's womb. This, this was God's idea of us before there was us. Wow. And so we're, we're being converted into that. So the classic terms are justification and sanctification. Yes, they communicate. I, they're not always the most helpful terms for me, this, but this idea of being transformed yeah. day by day more into the image of Christ. Right. That's compelling to me. I think of it as the conversion. I think of it as being awakened to what is already true. Oh, I like that. And so with my children, they don't remember the day they were born, but they were born. Yep. And different people uh, have their memories sort of came online at different times. And so one of my first memories the age I was at might be different than somebody else's and my, with my kids, I'm like, do you remember this? And they go, I don't even remember that. And I, cause I realized, well, there she's nine now. She was one year old when I'm talking. She doesn't remember that. Well, it happened. <laughs> she's already my daughter. That happened for sure. But she's now being more awakened to her. Yes. And I'm, I think in the spiritual version of that, so to speak, I think it's, Less important, I wouldn't say unimportant to find out when exactly, but I would say less important of the moment and more about the awakening and more mm-hmm. of just realizing who we are. Less like, well, when was I born? Right. It's more of more related to being awakened to who we are. Yeah. Because I think that that small version, that small understanding of conversion can lead us to think that we come into the family of God and we're restored and reconciled and then and then we're just kind of waiting for heaven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think most Christians would have a sense of, yeah, we're we're learning and growing, but but that being the big story, the dominant story, the the meta theme of our lives, I'm not sure that's always the conscious understanding of a lot of Christ followers. Mm. Yeah. So belovedness, conversion. Yep. Um uh, which I sort of take the conversion piece into this sense of abundance. I won't try to connect all those dots right now. Yeah, yeah. But then the Benedictine un- understanding of obedience, oh, right. three, into an understanding and practice of surrender as, uh-huh. a, as a life skill, life yeah. posturing with God. So those kind of the big core ideas. And, and man, I go back to these ideas probably every day. Yeah. I mean, consciously, they're just yeah. a, they've become such a way of understanding both my true self and my false self, my successes and my failures, just the journey. And then there are these five practices that the Benedictines lay out as prayer, study, work, hospitality, and renewal. So I use those as categories to kind of pull in a number of monastic practices from various traditions. You know, in the evangelical world, typically there's two spiritual practices. There's, there's reading the Bible and praying. 
And those are mighty good. <laughs> uh, but in the spiritual traditions, we've got a host of other ways of engage, engaging our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with the world. I love that hospitality is thrown in there. It just reminds us just how holy it is to sit across the table over a meal or provide something for someone. It's a very practical. Yes. It reminds us that the practical is holy. Absolutely. I love that you're tapping into these 1,500-year-old things, but how do you... I mean, you don't have a, an actual monastery, <laughs> and you have 21st century responsibilities. Yeah. How, how, do, how do we be... I mean, we're, you know, you're wearing jeans and, jeans and a t-shirt right. in, in 21st century. How, how is it possible to live a monastic style life yeah. or this hybrid? Yeah. With jeans and a t-shirt on in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I think you really touched on it a few moments ago when you talked about the rhythm of withdrawal and engagement. That is so simple, but almost unpracticed outside of maybe going to church on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. That being our withdrawal, our recharge. Uh, I think no matter what your profession or how high you are, yeah. On the ladder of responsibility, uh, rhythms of withdrawal and engagement are the lifeblood of developing gravitas and owning or carrying the monastic spirit, if you will, in yeah. the 21st century. That's good. You said true self and false self. I know we've talked about that when we didn't press record, but what, is, what do those phrases mean? You, you correlated it to our, our children. I think in our children we can see, well, we see, we see the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? We, we see the vastness of their potential, the vastness of maybe the creative spirit in one or the visionary spirit in another, maybe the deeply compassionate spirit in a child. And we can go, wow, that carries the very fingerprints of God into the world. They have a gift that's divine that the world needs in spades. That's their true self. Mm, that's great, yeah. <laughs> now, everything that gets in the way of that, uh, which we might correlate with all of our frantic posturing for to, to, to make people like us, and, and to feel powerful and to try to control people, you know, that that's trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Yeah. That's false self. That's great. I mean, I think false self is synonymous with sin in a traditional sense. Okay. We, we do the things that we think in the moment are going to make us happy, make us feel good, make us feel secure, strong, whatever. And, and they don't. They're, they're a counterfeit of... The true self, the true self is anchored in God. The true self yeah. is branch and vine, sucking in the life of God, the yeah. life of God flowing, sustaining, empowering. That's true self. Well, how do we, so I'm picturing a tree. If the roots are in the ground and that's, that's our rootedness in God, that's our spiritual authority where, where we get it, that's our truest self. 
But then there are the branches that are seen. That's right. Well, I don't want to equate that with false self because it <laughs> makes it seem like all the branches are bad and everything someone sees is bad. Right. But if our motivation is related to them seeing it, I guess it's bad. But yeah. how do we discern what part of the visible parts of us right. are our true self Yeah. and which ones are not? Yeah. You're messing with my metaphor, man. <laughs> no, it's really good, actually, because I can just run a little further with that metaphor. I, I, it's in the fruit. <clears throat> yeah, okay. right, right. So those branches, <clears throat> there's going to be fruit on those things, and it's either going to be something really thorny and prickly, or it's going to be something that nourishes. So I think we look at the, the outworkings of yeah. our leadership, the outworkings of our spiritual authority, our well, authority at any of those levels, positional, relational, spiritual, they produce, they, they influence. They influence our families. Um, nobody catches it more than our spouse and our kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, you can take the, the concentric circles of influence. They all experience the true self and the false self from us. Yeah. Uh, but I think that when we're cultivating a life of gravitas, those failures of gravitas get sort of subsumed in a weight of that is that that is in its sum life-giving, empowering, sustaining. That's great. So that's what we got to reach for, man. You and me and all of us. Yeah, that's beautiful. It made me think of. As you were sharing that, it made me think of a new way of thinking of the word influence or, or leadership or authority. Normally, there's authority is thought of as maybe over. Uh-huh. And I remember, this isn't my original thought, but the idea of real leadership being not being about power over, but coming alongside of or power yes. under. But yes. with this tree having like being above, hmm. well, if the influence is fruit and then that seed dropping to the ground yes then that's what if that's authority is why are you p placed in a position over oh nice oh it's to f for the next generation right it's not so that they i will dominate them <laughs> it's like so that there will be another generation wow. that grows after me right i might have to add that into the next version of the book that's <laughs> well, I've just i've been writing a lot about seed stuff and it's just like constantly on my mind <laughs> that's really good uh, i couldn't agree more yeah that that true and trustworthy leadership is a sustaining empowering elevating leadership and i think people know when it's not happening yeah it's like oh well you're a big huge powerful tree that we all have to be in their shade and we never get any sunlight good mm. for you mm. and then you topple over and die or someone cuts you down, Oof. you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> but if it's just seed producing continuation, it can be growth and and authority for the sake of thriving That's community. Right. And well, how do we sum this up? Mm. I, you know, some so, sort of takeaways, right? Mm -hmm. We're trying to simplify this concept. Mm -hmm. I I do encourage people to buy the book and read it. Thanks, man. But if they don't, can you just say something that's sort of a Here's what this this yeah. theme is about. Here's a takeaway. I mean, you've given them the three. Are they called core principles? Core, yes, core principles or convictions. And then five practices. That's right. 
try to go simplify it even more. Okay, sure. Um, we, all of us, are meant to carry gravity. Yeah. So that we can influence in life-giving ways. And the best way to do that, the, the first and primary way to do that is to put our spiritual roots down deep and cultivate time and space and practice to soak up uh, our, our true experience in God, our true relationship and rootedness in God. So good. Is that, it, that tight enough? It is. And it's like, it's one thing for you to say that in 25 seconds or however long it took, but to believe that that's true took me a long time. And I'm hoping, hoping that the people that are listening can, can hear you say that and then can hear me respond in that way to say, well, that sounds fine. It means I'm supposed to wake up 15 minutes earlier and do my morning devotionals. That's not exactly it's what not you're exactly saying. It's not exactly it. That's, that's good. Yes, it is. But it's, I think it has to do with really abiding and believing yeah. with these things and trusting. One more just super practical yeah. uh, resource. Um, so at the risk of self-promotion, yeah, yeah. On, on my website, thrive9solutions.com, the number nine, right? Not the Correct. word nine. Thrive and then the number nine, solutions.com. There's a page called Resources, and I've got, uh, I don't know, a dozen or two super practical, like here are, here's a spiritual practice that'll put another root down deep. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and it's, it's those, those kinds of things have been helpful for me. I'm, my personality type, I tend to not want to buy into whatever system there is. But when I don't think of it as a rule, I think of it as just a, here's something if you want to try it. Then I'm, yeah. And when I've done, you know, like uh, Lectio Divina and exactly. all these kinds of things, I go, oh, these monks did this for a reason and it's yeah. really awesome. <laughs> right? <You know? laughs> Instead of like, I have to do it every day, it's more of like a helpful tool. It's been That's so right. good for my soul. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> good. Me too. Well, thanks for writing the book. Well, thanks for appreciating it. It has kind of charted my own journey over the last five or six years. Uh, so in, in a, although this, the book is not about me, it's about me. It's about yeah. my journey. It's like, yeah. this is what have been life for me. Oh. Well, thanks for your time. I'm, I'm sure that we're going to have, cause I know you've written other books and we'll continue mm -hmm. to write yeah. other books. We'll probably have more of these kinds of conversations, I'd love it. Um, but we'll wrap it up for now. But thanks for, Thanks for your wisdom. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your friendship. And everyone listening, thanks for joining in for Concept 21 Authority with Jerome Daly. Again, you can go on Amazon. You can look up Monk in the Marketplace. Or next spring, you can look up the word Gravitas under and Jerome Daly. You can go to thrive9solutions.com for those resources. And you can also go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things. <laughs>